0: Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the business examiner podcast presented by Coastal Community Credit Union. Who's helping you take care of your financial health? Coastal Community Credit Union is here to help you reach your goals and do great things. Visit cccu.ca for more information. 3D data visualization and small business finance are the main topics for this week's episode. Our guests hail from Qualcomm Beach in Victoria, starting with a business relationship manager from Coastal Community Credit Union. Our conversation starts now.
1: My name is Charmaine Smith. I'm a business relationship manager with Coastal Community Credit Union. Uh, I'm based in the Oceanside region, so I cover... Parksville, Qualicum Beach, kind of a little bit north and south from the, of there. However, um, we have uh, business services available from tip to tip on the island. We cover right from, from the top of the island to the bottom. Um, and we can certainly put anybody in touch with anyone that they need to talk to. I've been with the credit union for 15 years. Uh, Eight of those years, I've been in commercial services doing primarily a lending role. Um, So anything from lines of credit to equipment loans to construction financing, term loans, rental properties, runs the gamut. And uh, I'm active in the community, probably a little bit too active. I uh, sit on a number of boards. Um, The one that keeps me the busiest is probably the Chamber of Commerce, but I also uh, do some work with the local volleyball club. Um, with Inclusion Parksville, so it's, it's a lot of fun and I get to meet a lot of people. And um, yeah, Coastal is the largest financial services um, uh, organization on Vancouver Island. So like I said, we do cover the whole island. Uh, we cover a few of the Gulf Islands. We have 24 locations and we are full service banking. So anything from life insurance to, you know, uh, credit cards, whatever you're looking for, we can certainly uh, meet that need.
0: Today, we're talking about pitfalls that businesses can avoid while trying to grow. Um, And I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of a brief overview of what you're looking for when you're evaluating your clients or potential clients' uh, businesses.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, the first thing I guess I look for when when I meet with somebody is just that initial discussion. Like, what are they looking for? What's it for? And how do they run their business? You know, high-level overview of you know, what kind of industry they're in, what they're trying to achieve. And then from there, I usually like to ask for a business plan if they're, if, if they're fairly new. If they're established, then the conversation will sometimes take a little bit of a different path. But what's their business plan? Is it sound? Are they mitigating risks adequately? Are they looking for those, you know, gaps possibly that, uh, you know, I, I see often, but many businesses overlook um, that, that type of thing. That's probably the first thing that I want to look at. And then I look at cash flow management. So I get their financial statements. I get a personal net worth statement and start to have a, a broader overview look of everything. And, and honestly, I like to look at their personal side as well because are they you know, pumping money into the business or do they have a lot of debt on the, on their personal side? And then with cash management, just on the business side, what's their operating cycle like? Do they rely on a line of credit? Are they managing their accounts payables and their accounts receivables adequately, or is there is there you know real big gaps in there? Once I have a better sense of that, I like usually have another conversation about, if necessary. But what's what is their their liquidity? Is that is that the problem? Do they just not have enough cash on hand to keep things going? Um, and then what are they trying to achieve? Again, you know that comes right back to the beginning conversation. What's their goal? What what are they hoping to do with with their business is, you know, sometimes they come to me because they have a specific need. I want a loan to buy X, Y, Z, or whatever, you know, get a line of credit, whatever that uh, that case is. But sometimes it's more, they don't really know what they need. They just need a little bit of advice, you know, something to, to bounce some ideas off of. What's the best direction to go in? That type of thing. So short and long term goals, and then of course a really important conversation I like to have with everybody is what's their succession plan. You know, if you're a small business owner and you're the only one that makes that widget, if you get sick or injured and it's your it's your livelihood, what's your backup plan?
0: In your 15 years of experience, is there something that's kind of stuck out to you about the importance of having someone like yourself uh, or or a, a business advisor kind of along the journey while you're while your business is trying to grow?
1: now that I've, you know, I'm 15 years in, and I've I've seen a lot of different businesses come across my desk, and had a lot of different, you know, from super successful to ones that are struggling to, you know, everything in between that I think that if, if people when they're starting out their business, if they sit down with someone like myself, it's just advice, you know, it's, it's impartial, there's no pressure, it you can just ask a whole lot of questions about things that you know, that you don't, you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know until you start asking those questions. So I think an advisor helps with, they have the experience, you know, I've, like I say, I've seen a lot come across my desk. I can ask some critical questions that you might not think of. And then, of course, competitive insight, you know, because I see a lot of businesses, that are similar in in industry wise, I can give, um, you know, like, oh, well, maybe you should talk to so and so because they, you know, they tried this partnership or, you know, that type of thing. So I can kind of give them a little bit of um, market insight in something, especially if they're coming in new, maybe they're bringing an existing building from, or pardon me, an existing business from somewhere else, and they want to duplicate it on the island. Okay, well, here's what's happening in that market right now, because I, you know, I have several clients that do the same type of thing. Often when people come to get commercial financing or advice or that type of thing, it can feel very daunting the way that we approach it. Uh, I work very closely with my manager of business services. Her name's Stephanie Benedict. And when I have a new opportunity or she has one, we usually like to go to the meeting together because she handles all the cash management side of things. And then I handle all the lending side of things and we can have, you know, a really holistic conversation about, how does your company transact? How do you like to do business? Like some people like to go into the bank once a week and make their deposit and have that face to face, and other people don't want ever to walk into a bank. They want to, or a or credit union. They just want to be able to do it online and, and and have it done that way. So I think being able to sit down with you know everybody at once that that can bring you know a lot of experience and um, value to that conversation is helpful, and it's a lot easier these days. We can look at your bank statements for the last three months and see see how you do your banking you know we can look at oh i i transact a lot in the us this is how i do it this way so it's it's easy for us to be able to say oh we can build a product for you that suits your business needs best whereas i think in years past it was it was more difficult there wasn't the the one-on-one approach to business banking it was more a side thought that people didn't really spend a lot of time on when they went into into a credit union or into a bank
0: thanks charmaine for your insights there was a lot of valuable information there for financial decision makers at smes across the island and beyond next up we have an interesting interview with one of the co-founders of lama zoo interactive he stops by to talk about their exciting new guardian software which plays a major role in opening up opportunities for indigenous communities across the province.
2: My name is Charles Bean. I'm the co-founder, CEO, and president of Lamazoo Interactive. Uh, We're a spatial BI uh, company, and uh, we've been developing a platform uh, to digitally twin and provide spatial BI for about eight years now.
0: Awesome, Charles. Well, I'm excited to have you here. I saw the news release about this Guardian project come through and I thought it would be a great conversation to have. Um, And so I'm wondering if you can just give me a little bit of a background about what exactly is going on with this Guardian software. When did kind of the process and, uh, and the, I guess, I don't know if the creation or the invention of it start, and just maybe if you can outline as well, what the reception has been like so far.
2: Yeah, so we started developing Guardian about uh, more or less two years ago, uh, just before COVID. Uh, and it was really out of a lot of the work that we had been doing uh, in like mining and forestry, we encountered that uh, you know first Nations didn't necessarily have the same access to the tools or the same resources uh, to to unlock the value of big data uh, that uh, you know industry has. And so it was through those kind of conversations and uh, our initial, kind of work with Moachat Muchalat, Chief McKenna kind of saw it, uh, saw Tim Brobson, and and got really excited about the potential of what we could do uh, with this technology for First Nations. And so that kind of launched us down that path. And over the last two years, we've been effectively developing uh, Guardian in collaboration with uh, those First Nations uh, partners, the the early adopters, as we call them, uh, and learning on you know how best we can modify and adjust and, and provide uh, tools on our platform that unlock value for first sanctions
0: can you kind of elaborate on what so it allows them to unlock value in their land in terms of you know are you be able to scan below the ground so they can see different minerals that are available does it quantify like square hectares of available forestry for 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 harvesting can you flush that out a bit
2: yeah so i mean it's a it's a tool that unifies different data sets uh, and visualizes those data sets uh, in a hyper interactive and uh, explorable fashion you know one analogy is it's like grand Theft auto, but for your land, all of your natural resources right uh, so imagine something like that, but without the cars and the people driving around so yeah absolutely if you have the The geological data or drilling data or, you know, assays and mythologies of the the land, we can incorporate that data and help represent what's what's underground. Uh, And then on top of that, we've got LIDAR and, uh, you know, laser scanning and satellite imagery that can help represent and capture what's above the land, the trees, uh, you know, over many, many hectares. Uh, So think the largest area we've done so far is about 25 million hectares uh, for the coastal First Nations. So that's something that we kicked off last November. Uh, And we have plans of doing about 50 million hectares in the next uh, couple of months. And then by the end of the year, we want to do the entire province. So we'll effectively have a data set that represents or recreates the entire province in a digital twin.
0: That's amazing. Well, I appreciate you giving a little bit more detail there. I'm wondering, um, I guess, in a follow up too. one of the things that came out and you know, within the release that, that has led to this conversation was a notice about the technologies available to further reconciliation or maybe give uh, Indigenous peoples, um, like you said, more access to technology that they wouldn't. Can you elaborate on that? As, I don't know if there's a use case or something that you came in with a preconceived notion of how it would work and then the, the nations were like, oh, we can actually use it to do X, Y and Z, something along those lines.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think the the obvious use cases for industry are project planning and and stakeholder alignment. Whereas with First Nations, it's a lot of uh, capturing and representing the kind of historical land and the the culture and the kind of land use of the past, which can help strengthen uh, their land claims, uh, which is really important in the reconciliation process. Not, a, not that it should necessarily be, but it is part of the reconciliation process. Uh, and Then further, it also allows First Nations to be more active participants in any of the land-based economic
0: activities. When you launch a service like this, this Guardian software, do you treat it as almost like a new business unit? That's Because there's a couple of different, there's a mine one that, that I saw on your site, there's the forestry specific one, but how do you, how do you treat this new software within, within your business?
2: The way we kind of as a technology company we have a core team of developers that are developing the platform and then we have kind of the product teams that are kind of spinning out specific products from the platform and yeah absolutely if we you know eventually get to that size where you know we we hit uh, some kind of critical mass with any of the the products they would be uh you know their own uh business units with pnl and uh and, and reporting and that kind of stuff, but right now you know Lamazoo is a forty person company, so it's it's all one big business unit effectively
0: <laughs> yeah. awesome well that make that makes sense. I appreciate you sharing that um so there's fifteen nations currently using the software. Is there any kind of highlights that that you wanted to point out? yeah I think a
2: really impactful one is the referrals process, so first nations. Uh, will receive referrals from industry and and regulators on you know certain activities that are being proposed. Uh, and that referral process can be quite burdensome for some nations that don't necessarily have the resources to kind of respond to all referrals. as we've seen in the news, you know, in the last six months that that can be problematic. Uh, so by having a tool that kind of represents the land, digitizes the land, uh, those referrals can actually be brought into Guardian, facilitating kind of the, the response and the, the evaluation of the referral. So that's that's one really powerful one. The other one that's kind of unique that we've been exploring over the last uh, 12 to 16 months is wildfire fuel type mapping. Uh, so we have a mobile application that individuals and, and nations can go out into the field and Actually, start categorizing uh, fuel types, the underbrush, which is really the the fuel for wildfires, uh, and then by doing that, that that data then gets transmitted back to Guardian and can represent you know risk regions or help uh, with triaging you know treatments for the land and the land management. You know, another really powerful one is the cultural heritage mapping and digitization. So we can actually capture the stories. We can uh, represent the, the the artifacts, right? And one thing that I'm pretty uh, passionate about is is enabling something that I call uh, digital repatriation of artifacts. So, you know, we've got the Royal BC Museum uh, in BC that has uh, thousands, if not millions of artifacts and archives Imagine if we could digitize those and allow uh, the First Nations to repatriate those artifacts digitally by incorporating them into the digital twin, uh, which I think would be really powerful.
0: So would you see it as almost like an augmented reality style? Like, is that what you mean? Or is it more for their own the research and data keeping purposes?
2: Uh, I mean, it could incorporate augmented reality eventually. Yes, uh, absolutely. But the idea would be more, you have the digital twin of the land and the artifacts came from the land. So if we were to say 3D scan an artifact and represent that where it was found, the First Nation could repatriate it digitally and have access to a, a digital replica of that artifact. And then eventually, yeah, Imagine walking through the forest, I don't know if you'd want to do this, but with the Apple AR glasses and you see the artifacts and the information of the land and that kind of stuff, definitely
0: possible. Jumping into uh, a different sort of set of questions on your background, I'm wondering if you can give me a bit of an overview of your career prior and I guess leading up to you co-founding Lamazoo.
2: Yeah, so... I originally started my career in what used to be called multimedia or mixed uh, digital media development. I graduated from Vancouver Film School uh, way back in the day, Uh, eventually got hired by Electronic Arts in in Vancouver, worked there for a number of years, and then uh, kind of jumped around, went to Montreal, worked at Ubisoft, and then came back to Vancouver uh, to work for Microsoft Game Studios. Uh, and so that was kind of, you know, 15 years of game development and design. And that's really where I cut my teeth in, uh, you know, interactive uh, media development and rendering and the high performance visualization, and animation and that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was kind of towards the uh, transition of like console to uh, social mobile casual I kind of became a little bit disenfranchised. I I didn't want to make, you know, Facebook games uh, and uh, just decided I was done with it. And so left the game industry, but I had all of this experience and expertise with these technologies. And my co-founder and I was in the same boat and uh, we started Lamazoo with uh, kind of the, the hypothesis that we could take these technologies and apply them to real world problems. Uh, and that's what kind of set us down that the path with Lamazoo. The way we kind of looked at it is like, hey, we're making candy, you know, this is back in the day when Candy Crush was like hugely popular. We're making candy. We want to be making, you know, vitamins or, or medicine, right? Because that's incredibly more valuable. That's not to say that entertainment isn't valuable. It just it's a, has a different place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, it's just, I think you've answered a part, part of this already, but I, I don't know if you have a note on, on a response for this. But in terms of looking at 3D visualization software, with when you were reviewing kind of your skill set, where you came from, what stuck out about this particular use case compared to other areas that you could have applied your skills?
2: Uh, I mean you know, if you had asked me eight years ago, if I would, could see myself developing software for first nations or, or industry or government, that's probably not where I would have thought this would end up. Uh, So it's been, you know, a serendipitous journey. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful of the experiences that we've had uh, with Lamazoo over the eight years. Um, And yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really passionate about the technology, about uh, visualization, about big data, and where where it's all going. Right, there's a huge convergence between, you know, the fields of AI and high performance compute and spatial computing. Right, which is AR, VR, and the XRs, as some people call it. Uh, and I think it's it's the convergence of these three kind of umbrella technologies that is what uh, keeps me really passionate about it. Uh, from a technology perspective.
0: Awesome. Anything that sticks out in the way that you've changed? You've mentioned kind of that eight-year transition where you thought you were starting out to where you're at now. Is there anything I would say internally or maybe it's much professional maturity that that sticks out to you?
2: I think letting go and and, and trusting in others is something that uh, a skill that I've had to develop as a manager. Uh, you know, in the first few years, I was very hands-on. Uh, you know, we were also a much smaller and younger company, so everybody had to wear multiple hats. But now that I have, you know, a team of managers and directors that I really trust, and uh, uh, my goal is uh, to really empower them to do their best work because that's how they're going to empower their teams and enable their teams, and that's how we can all do our best work within the company. Uh, so it's you know taking a step back sometimes and just like letting things go and playing their course while just providing some some direction and some insight where you can, where, where you can provide value as a leader.
0: Awesome. So to finish this off, we've got four quick questions that we ask uh, every interviewee. Um and we're starting off with your favorite book. And this could be fiction, nonfiction, business, whatever.
2: Yeah, favorite book, I'd say Hard Thing About Hard Things by Baron Horowitz. Uh, It's really just so full of anecdotal experiences and advice, uh, you know, and it's told through really approachable, culturally relevant snippets, uh, which I really appreciate.
0: Best personal advice that you received?
2: Do what you're afraid to do. Uh, For me, this is how I can really live a fulfilling life, right? By, By feeling my fears and conquering them, it's the only way I can move forward to the other side of no longer fearing what I feared, which is a really empowering thing.
1: Yeah,
0: that's powerful. Um app or software you can't live without aside from the office uh, suite or email.
2: Yeah this one's interesting. Uh and I've actually put a lot of thought into this over the years. And uh you know I think the a lot of a lot of folks probably assume the killer app for mobile devices like the smartphone era was social media. Uh, but I think that social media is really just a byproduct of pervasive connectivity and things like everybody having a camera and documenting their everyday lives, right? Uh, I think the real killer app and one that I can't live without is uh, mapping applications, right? Whether it's like Google Maps or All Trails or even Apple Maps. Sometimes uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, it's, it's basically, you know, it's, it's made information available from a location perspective, right. Which is really powerful. Uh, and I'm also really terrible with street names and I prefer visual landmarks. Uh, Maps really just makes my life that much easier.
0: Yeah, no, I feel you on that. I think that's cool. It's the first time I've got an answer like that. Um, and the very last one for you, your favorite restaurant on Vancouver Island.
2: Uh, I'd say it's Shizen Japanese restaurant in Chinatown in Victoria. Um, I've spent, you know, 10 years living in Vancouver and I I feel like I know what good sushi is. And while there are a lot of good sushi places in Victoria, not many of them are super fresh or have great value. Uh, And Shizen is just really authentic. Their sushi is exceptional.
0: Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.